Welcome to Modern Day Cersei. Get raw and wild with Kai and Leela. <laughs> All right. So we are in episode two of Modern Day Cersei, and we are talking about the history of drag tonight. Yeah, we love drag. And and to be clear, neither of us are drag performers. Nope. So we don't necessarily like represent we are drag fans. We are fans of drag shows. That's right. So that will be that will be the person we're speaking from. Also, excuse our microphones tonight. We're recording um, remotely, so we might sound a little different than last week's. But we really wanted to go through the history of drag because locally, there's a lot of issues happening with our favorite drag stars. And while they may be small town drag stars, they still are important to our community. And we're going to kind of get into why drag is important. We got to kind of go through the mud about drag first from its origins aren't great in the ancient times, but it gets better as we become modern yeah. day. <laughs> so drag becomes great in modern day. Its origins aren't so happy, <laughs> I guess I should say. So let's get started. Drag it was originally a theatrical form. It was meant to be in rituals and to show off like... Plays, but if we go back before plays, right, it was really meant for rituals. Priests uh, in a lot of ancient cultures would actually be a, a drag or would be in feminine style clothing to represent a goddess, especially when women weren't around or the woman that was supposed to be representing was too young to represent a full grown adult woman. Which they probably had a, a different term for it during yeah. that time. Yes, they, but they it did. was still the, the nature of it was dates back that far. Yeah, and we, I don't want to mix drag with cross dressing as we're fixing to hit the real like ancient history. Those are two different things with two different really specific histories, and we'll actually get into cross dressing later and into drag queen his drag queen. Listen to me, drag king history later as well, but. We're gonna talk. We're gonna we're gonna put a pin in those too, because those will be separate episodes later in the year. But um, they absolutely had a different word for it because it came from ain't come. Ugh, listen to me, y'all. Can't it comes from ancient Native American, indigenous cultures, South American. We've got Egyptian ceremonies and even Japanese theater, and we can absolutely not forget the Grecians and the Romans with their famous drag. Oh, oh, <laughs> Um, they're, they're famous drag shows. Never. <laughs> we, we always say everything le leads from Greece and Rome. And it's so true because you can really trace yeah. it back. I had a hard time getting through the Roman barriers, what I'm going to call it in history to find like the actual uh -huh. native American, the indigenous South American and like Egyptian and Japanese history in it, because it was just, it just immediately bring up like um, Shakespearean periods or Grecian. And I was like, there's got to be more to drag than Greece and Shakespeare. Yes. And I'm glad that you dove deeper into that because it's really represented in all cultures. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but so we're going to we're going to pop back. It says all of those. It blossomed into the Shakespearean theater eventually. And the reason it's really big in this is because women were not allowed to be actors. And 
most of us learn this in school, but some of us might not, especially from our rural area. Women weren't allowed to be actors until like the 19, oh, early 1900s. And uh, even then it was very small roles. Um, but the term drag, we're going to get to that. The term drag is thought to have come from how the dresses the performers wore during the Shakespearean time. Because those dresses would be magically beautiful and drag across the floor. And they would make the male actors look more female-like and very extravagant. They would just really bump up the female features. And um, we'll go a little bit more into that in a minute. But it also wasn't considered to be part of the homosexual community at this point. Um it's still a very skewed art form in the Shakespearean time. You know what I just thought about? I thought about how, you know, a lot of makeup that, that's involved in drag is considered very exaggerated and and um, theatrical. And that's probably where it gets its roots from as well, is the theatrics of how you would have to have, like they had to have their makeup that way so that it could be seen from far away. And especially if you had someone who was dressing with a different gender, then you would have to exaggerate even more to make them look more feminine. Yes, and so again, they deemed women unworthy, right? To be in these shows, we were just, we, we couldn't act is what they would say, or we, we, it was just how wrong, or it was bad luck even. You'll read where they thought it was bad luck to have women in on the stage, and I'm like, okay. But um, they also exaggerated... Like there's got to be more to that. Well, they also exaggerated the female body parts, kind of like they exaggerate, um, and they also exaggerated the facial, like how they did people of color and other cultures. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of blackface and early drag, I'm going to put that in quotations, actually acting together because they did, they seen these people as inferior. So they were kind of making fun of us by accentuating what we see is now a great way to showcase, you know, artistically back then it was, they were, they were essentially kind of putting in our face. Oh, you have big boobs. Bam. You know, and would really do that. Something that now is more empowering back then. It was, it was demeaning. Right. And they did it on purpose. Uh, and that that's not part of today's drag. It is part of its past, you know, just, just, the, just the tip of it though. Just, just the tip, you know, just, just the tip of drag, because at this time, again, it's not considered a part of the homosexual or LGBTQ community. It is literally just an art form. And, um, you know, it became a really, really large part of theatrical history during the Shakespearean times. I mean, huge part until, you know, about the 19th century when female impersonators kind of tried to get in there just a little bit and were finally allowed to kind of go on and perform in vagabond or vaudeville shows. Now, yeah. So vaudeville is like, mm, the Yes and no, but vaude, more vaude, vaudeville than vagabond. It, think Roger Rabbit's, um, what's her name? Ah, Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit, yes. Think more Jessica Rabbit show as vaudeville. Okay. So actually, okay. let okay. me get a real definition real quick. So 
so that I'm not like misconstruing it, right? But um, yeah, think I'm that way. Get out of my head. I mean, you're not not technically wrong. So the real definition for vaudeville is a type of entertainment popular in the U.S. in the earliest 20th century, featuring a speciality acts of burlesque comedy, song, and dance. So it is okay. burlesque, but it's more comedic burlesque very very jessica rabbit you know like you know tickle me type stuff playing what is it (laughs) uh patty cake type (laughs) situation that's one of my favorite euphemisms ever (laughs) yes but i mean they actually modeled Jessica Rabbit off of what would have been considered a drag queen now. People are not going to oh, like wow. this, but they really did. And if you really look at her, you'll see where they got those attributes. Yes, yes. So because like the, the tiny waist in proportion to her breast size and the the magnificent like wig like hair yes. and and the makeup that she's wearing. It's but she's. I mean, it's it's an empowering role still, though, yeah. like, because even, I mean, everybody likes Jessica Rabbit and likes to dress up like her. Absolutely. I mean, she's still a icon of femininity, but an icon of femininity doesn't have to be, you know, any specific female. It could be just what the ideals of a female. I don't know, because that doesn't sound yeah. right either, but we'll get more into that in later Let's back up into time. So we're going to take our little time slide and slide it left. We're going to go back to the 1800s and uh, the first drag queen, the first person to term drag queen. I love this story. This person deserves like a cinematic documentary about them because I love this so much. Yeah, there are several books and I've tagged them in our like definitions in our podcast notes. So please go check those out on this person. You'll really love them. Um, But the first person to coin the term drag queen is William Dorsey Swan. And we're going to, he's, he's, we're going to call her him he when he's William and she when he's queen, because at the time that is how they talked about themselves. So it it may seem a little confusing. Just kind of stick with me for a second, but the queen, I'm maybe I'll just say queen swan. There we go. We'll say queen swan. Um, Queen swan would host (laughs) drag balls at her home. (laughs) So now at the time, this wasn't necessarily bad or shameful. It just wasn't, you know, op- like super open. Not not bad, what not shameful. This is what eight- years is this taking place? The 1880s. So 1800. Okay, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so in, in the 1880s, early 1880s too, because we kind of go through into 1900s with, with William. And uh, we'll, we'll get there. Uh-huh. So, um, Soon, men started impersonating females and performing in the vaudeville shows, which we show, which again was still fine. And uh, a lot of these people would end up at Queen Swan's parties. And she was one of the persons that really got into vaudeville shows. And that's when she was allowed to become the queen of drag. And, uh... So let's see. 
it says, and it's really kind of sad because, you know, as women and people of color and um, any other real cultures in America or anybody that's LGBTQ plus, a lot of history is erased, right? And this is no different, unfortunately. says both of these names had been forgotten for nearly a century before rediscovering them at the Columbia University, uh, like, library. And that's, yeah. So we're going to go into... That's just crazy because they were so influential. I mean, the first first drag queen, and and a lot of people don't know about them. No, and that's, I feel like it should be really important. And they were people of color. Yes. They were were... people of color. Again, it was people of color Mm -hmm. who began these strides for the LGBTQ community and, and just for people in general. Yeah. So a little bit about um, William's history. They were born in Maryland in 1860. Swan endured slavery. So he was a freed slave. And then he was in the Civil War and fought. He was up against racism and police surveillance. Once he was arrested, and we're going to get into why they were arrested, um, they were tortured behind bars. And so many injustices happened to William. Like, it's sad. But they overcame it, right? And um, it's really, really cool how he goes from slave to what would be um, the first American activist to lead a queer resistance group. <laughs> like, it's it's so, I want to say, dream-worthy for somebody to finally I, see that, that incline. Iconic. Yeah, iconic is the right word. Yes. Um, he also became, let's see. It says he also became, in the same decade, the first known person to dub himself as the Queen of Drag, or more familiar as a drag queen. In 1896, after being convicted and sentenced to 10 months in jail on the charge of keeping a disorderly house, which at the time was a euphemism for running a brothel. But let's get into what actually happened to this, to William. Because yes. <laughs> I love, I love this this little chunk of his history because it makes me like panic for them, but at the same time feel so like proud of them. But um, so yeah. what happened was the police busted through the door of the two story residence in North Washington D.C. Okay, Washington D.C., not the South, not the North, a good middle ground. So you weren't being persecuted like you were in the South, and you didn't have the influences of some of the other rich people in the North, right? Um, but they were just, it says they were just a mile and a half from the White House. They busted through the door and around 13 black men were discovered dancing together. And we're going to put this in quotations because this next part is hilarious how the book that I'm reading this history piece out of explains it. It says almost in a nude condition. The Washington Post reported another paper reports that the men were wearing silk and satin dresses and dancing provocatively. <laughs> it says then all of the dancing suddenly stopped. The men looked out in shock for a brief second and then they started to scurry and make their getaway as the police knocked in the door. <laughs> Many struggled to strip off their garments, rip their ribbons and wigs of long flowing hair. <laughs> It's just, I can imagine how. Somebody at the press had a field day. Yes. Oh, it gets, it gets better. It says other races, others raced immediately to the back door or leapt off the second floor windows to keep from being arrested. 
Okay. They jumped onto neighboring roofs, by the way. They didn't just like jump out the window to nothing. You have to think back. Okay, but we have to consider the time period and that a group of uh, freed people had, you know, in their lifetime been like likely suffered to some degree at the hands of slavery oh, yeah. we're facing incarceration again which we know is, is the new slavery yeah so they i mean i would have hopped off of a second story window you know like <laughs> i would have yeah totally rational totally understandable especially now knowing what they had waiting for them when the arrests were made yes and so with all that happening, it says, this is how they describe William, by the way, in the same like news post. It says, a large man named William Dorsey Swan, the queen of the ball, is the tag for him. The queen of the ball was arrayed in a gorgeous dress of cream-colored satin. But unlike the others, he ran frantically toward the officers in a vain attempt to keep them from entering. So he tried to, like... To bar them outside, he went yeah. to he his first real act of activism that was you know written down was him trying to keep the people that were in his ball safe. I'm honestly glad that he survived that shit. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, it says that the raid was such a commotion that roughly 400 people were like awakened and gathered outside to watch and even followed the police and suspects back to the station that night. Wow. 400 people watched this. Didn't do anything. They just watched. It says, in total, 13 men, all men of color, were arrested and charged. I'm going to say this in quotation, charged with being suspicious characters. <laughs> they were ordered to pay a bond or serve 30 days in jail. And their names were published in the local papers the next day for all of the city to read. Which, it sounds like the whole city saw what happened and went down anyway. Yeah. So, um, what's really sad is what happens next to him in conjunction to this. It says Swan demanded and was denied a pardon from President Grover Cleveland for holding the drag ball. This, too, was a historic act. It made Swan the earliest recorded American to take specific legal and political steps to defend the queer community. This is in the late 1800s. It says um, they had the right to gather without the threat of criminalization, suppression, and police violence. A former slave who reigned over a secret world of drag balls in Washington, D.C. He is now, he's like, a, he's immortalized in the history of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's one of those things. But, again, we go back and... Were there, were there any laws during that time uh, against drag? Or, I mean, because the only thing they could be charged with is supposedly housing a brothel, and that's not even what they were doing. So he, he deserved to... Be pardoned. Be pardoned, because yeah. they weren't breaking any laws. No, but here's why this is going on. And this is what happened. The, the government didn't like people being free, especially people of color. And, they, of course, they didn't like yeah. any kind of freedom of creativity at this time. You have to think most of the area was probably, like, um, still descendants of, uh, what is it, in the area? Oh, 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 Puritans and stuff like that, like, still pretty early. So their religious beliefs don't really involve the brightly colored and beautiful clothing. 
unfortunately. That's the societal stance, though, mm-hmm. because to my knowledge, there's nothing in any versions of the Bible that I, I have heard of that, you know, say anything against um, dressing as another sex or, or really referencing gender identity whatsoever. No. Um, but so, so, so to me, it's more just like a society thing than it is a religious. And it's just that the religious tend to latch on to societal standards. And that's exactly kind of what happens. So from this incident, take late 1800s to what happened because people couldn't rationalize like all these people seen and they couldn't rationalize the movement of drag, right? It says drag was not associated with homosexuality until sexology, which the study of sex and sexual practices among different cultures started to develop. And so doctors and psychologists of the early times wanted to develop again, that word ideas of a third sex in an attempt to rationalize why people would want to dress like this. Yeah. So it's like they had to try to bring sex into this just so they could rationalize it. It makes no sense. And this very well screams, you know, Republican white man to me because the only way they can think anything is through their dick. But they had to like (laughs) – they they did, especially back then. They couldn't see it if it wasn't for procreation (laughs) – or to, you know, make your place in the kitchen, then why why do you need to do certain things? But it says Which it's not inherently sexual to no. to dress as another sex. It's 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 creativity. It's, just, it's not it's sexuality. Crazy. Yeah, it, it's it's expression and expression in and of itself is not inherently sexual. It can be, but it's not always not in the, and that's the yeah. distinction that i think people are missing with dragon in, ge- in general is they think that it's sexual all the time but it's not no and um so with that of course news spreads right because people are stupid and they want to rationalize mm-hmm. but they don't know they're scared of differences and what time was the sexology like what years was the sexology roughly 1920 it started in roughly 1920. So we went from late 1880 to 1920. I keep trying to think of what might have been going on during this time that so, would have, this would have served a, a distraction for, they you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's what it sounds like to me. They would be gearing up for the Depression and then World War One, quickly following. Okay. We also have... Um, the at the same time that this is happening with the sexology, we have women starting to liberate themselves in the um, uh, in the <laughs> what are they what are they called flapper scene. So and yes. sexual education was really starting to come forward and birth control. So all that is happening. All of this is happening at the same time. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but by the early 20th century, drag was officially tied to the LGBTQ plus community. And through no association of their own, just being them caused it. Uh, it it's now a community that was marginal. Now, listen to me. It's, it's still a community that is marginalized in the United States. Um, it's no longer a part of popular mainstream at this point. So what was mainstream for actors is no longer a mainstream because they have now decided that you are no longer heterosexual. So that is wrong. 
Um, yes. And it's, it's not. Uh, that's another big misconception is that people think that someone who dresses in drag is automatically um, someone who has a mental illness. Yes, that's also part of this. And or is transgender, and that's just they're not mutually exclusive. No, even somebody that's in drag doesn't even have to be a part of. Well, now they they're still considered LGBTQ plus because they're in drag, but they don't have to be. Like yeah. they could still identify as straight and be in drag, and there's nothing wrong with that. But now that doesn't matter. Performance art. <laughs> exactly. But it doesn't matter in the 19th or the 20th century, late no. mid 1900s. Um, it says that instead performances became a major aspect of city nightlife. So what okay. really happened was it became underground. It says the third yeah. sex was discussed as a feminine man or a masculine woman who desires members of the same sex. That's why. Yeah. It says, by the 1930s, this scientific conversation had worked its way into the popular culture and linked drag with homosexuality. So that's how it links it together. They automatically assume yes. that you want to dress like the opposite sex, you must like the opposite sex, or the same sex. Sorry. Um, but we're going to get into the laws that you just asked about. There were no laws against it still. But against drag specifically, yes, drag and drag shows. So there were no laws at this point against it. But as drag became shunned, masquerade laws in quotation were used to punish those who would drag in public. Okay, uh huh, which is basically a party law or, um. Like, it's crazy. Masquerade laws is like uh, going against a masquerade party or even what we're like dealing with right now in our local air scene with our drag shows. It's a masquerade law stating that it's uh, drinking and too rowdy for it to be around churches or schools. I'm going to look it up real quick. Exactly what that means. Yeah. Because I, I like the way I'm interpreting the way my brain works is it can be interpreted a couple of different ways. Yes. Yeah, that's the way they might they might have made that law. So it may not be. It, it, this is going to be more modern term with this definition, but it'll kind of transverse back, right? And again, my internet is so slow, so I'm sorry, everybody waiting on me to find this definition. <laughs> um, but they did. They they didn't have laws, and so instead of making new laws because it wouldn't be a good idea, they just twisted laws that were already in order. Okay. So here's what masquerading or masquerade law is. This is more commonly known as the anti-masking law was established in New York in 1845 and spread like wildfire across the country. It declared it a crime to have your face painted, discolored, covered, or concealed in public. Hmm. I wonder if that applies. I wonder if that applied to any of the menstrual performers. You know, during that time. I'm going to say no, but, uh, you know, they were, again, they twisted this to fit their own narrative, especially back then. Um, it says gay bars had to operate underground though. They were constantly raided by police. So, and we're going to, we're going to get into a very popular, we're, we're skipping from the 1930s to 1969. So, Go ahead and get in your little time machine in your head and go from flapper to hippie. Okay. I'm we're going to be talking about a really important 
drag moment or even LGBTQ plus moment. Um, All the raids continued until Stonewall. So if many of you don't know what Stonewall is, uh, sometimes it's called the Stonewall riots. Sometimes it's called the Stonewall um, liberation. It just depends. Um, It happened in 1969 when patrons at the Stonewall Inn in New York City fought back against the authorities. Stonewall was a series of violent confrontations that began in the early hours of June 28th, 1969, between police and gay rights activists outside the Stonewall. It says accounts vary over exactly what kicked off the riots, but according to witnesses, and I'm going to say this very, very lightly because, you know, witnesses don't give a shit. Um, the report, the crowd erupted after police Police roughed up a woman dressed in a masculine attire. Some believe the woman was lesbian activist, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, Storme de la Verie. See, I'm saying it wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> Apparently, she was known. Let me see if I can find it. Apparently, she was known for being, um, I don't want to say a trouble starter. That is absolutely not what I'm going to say. Um, for being, take no shit. So, she was, you know... But um, over the next several nights, gay activists continued to gather near the Stonewall Inn, taking advantage of the moment, spreading information, and to build a community that would fuel the growth for gay rights movements. So, did you find it yet? Stormy. It's Storm A. D. I think it was Storm A. Delarvery. There we go. Thank you. Because Something like that. It's got it. Well, somebody's right. If you guys know how it said, comment it and like really dash it out for us because <laughs> both of us have trouble with words sometimes. Um, it says the police officers will return. The mood was less confrontational. So, and I'm not trying to like, yeah. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this, but I'm not saying it was a chill riot, right? No, people were hurt. Things and bombs were going off, like fire was erupting. This was a real riot, a real march. And it's just, it, it just kind of escalated quickly and died out fast. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Um, so it says with isolated skirmishes replacing the large scale riots of the weekend. So it kind of just faded out over that whole weekend um, from where it was just that area and section. But, um, but it was still a landmark event because it, it, it emboldened the members of that community to later make more of a stand that contributed to the gay rights movement as whole. And it was pioneered yes. by transgender people. Right. And um, so a bit and of the reality. People were seen as drag queens. Yeah. And which is great. But we're going to go back before Stonewall for just a second because I really want to explain how messed up it was at the time, right? A bit of the reality before Stonewall was bars and restaurants could get shut down for having gay employees or serving gay gay patrons. Says most gay bars and clubs in New York at the time, including Stonewall, were operated by the mafia who would pay corruptible police officers to look the other way and then blackmail wealthy gay patrons by threatening to out them. It was just a messed up system all the way around. So dealing with it is one of those things that's like, oh, yeah, they had that. But I really want to, like, punch in how 
how scary it was to be a drag queen or even just gay before Stonewall in the 1950s specifically at this time would be more of which one and that's why the lgbtq community is such a, a vulnerable one to violence is because they're they have always been a really marginalized demographic that is that is exposed to violence you know especially right. within that community people of color that's why it's so important to fight for the rights for legislation to protect them, not only their rights, but to protect their their safety. Right. We have to have it literally said that it is against the law to hurt these people, that it is a hate crime. Like, we have to have laws that protect those people in that way, or else people will not be punished for it. Yeah. And it's, you would think it would just be basic human decency to not attack other people for no reason just because you don't agree with something does not mean that gives you a right to physically harm or uh, mentally harm anyone. Like there's, it's kind of like today when we deal with TikTok or Facebook posts, right? If you don't like it, keep scrolling. If you don't like it, keep walking. So, but we're going to go back to June 28th of 1970. This is first gay pride. All right. So the very first gay pride was set off from Stonewall. It was on the first year anniversary mm-hmm. of the police raids of Stonewall Inn. Gay activists in New York organized the Christopher Street Liberation March to cap off the city's first gay pride week. It, it says, as several hundred people began marching up 6th Avenue towards Central Park, supporters from the crowd joined them. The procession eventually stretched some 15 city blocks, 15 blocks, encompassing thousands of people. That's huge. <laughs> That's huge. It says the LGBT plus like, finally felt like they found a community. Yes. They finally found like they had a community. Um, so fun fact also about this time, and this is really going to make like, I love that most of the people that are going to listen to this are going to be like, Oh, that's so cool. But there's definitely going to be some people that are going to have this hard pill to swallow for this fun fact. So keep that in mind as I say this. Um, so actually divine, AKA the drag queen of the century as people magazine named her inspired the design of Ursula in Disney's little mermaid. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is great. It's great. And again, we talked about another yeah. person, which is Jessica Rabbit. Uh, there's also, let's see, um, who else was it that really, really coined off of them? Anyway, she really showed them how to make Ursula and the Little Mermaid. And that you look at Ursula and you're like, you know what? I absolutely can see that. And it's great. Because it's creative expression, even for, I mean, I get it, Ursula's evil, but it's still a representation at the moment in an early point. Okay, but Ursula is also a bad bitch. Yes. Okay, I know she was the bad guy in that movie, but I think that, I want to hear her side of the story, okay? I want to hear how Triton did her dirty, honestly, but that's that's a topic for another day. It is. Well, I mean, if you go back for just a second in the show, The Little Mermaid, they're brother and sister, Triton and Ursula. Yeah. So I would absolutely fucking love to see the story of what Ursula, yeah, anyway. And it just kind of, 
I, I, I bring up the Little Mermaid specifically because there's issues with the Little Mermaid now, right? But in the original... Oh, another thing. Sorry. No, you're good. The Little Mermaid is one of my favorite movies. Okay. But another thing about Ursula's character design is she was a bigger female character too Mm -hmm. with obvious drag queen character design choices but she had sensuality and sexuality to her there was comedy mixed in there but it was it was not over so overbearing that you know it was too awkward for a family audience but it was also kind of an empowering moment for that body type and that body size yeah and just the way that she spoke there was that element there and that empowering element there um that made you kind of take it seriously and that's another form of representation that drag gives people is that it's it's about all body types too you see all body types doing drag probably more than you see on a runway with major fashion designers yeah no that's i agree you see a real representation of it i i I coined this off in the end of it so we'll go back to this you see real representation in the drag community um but we're gonna go back by the 1980s we saw greater experience i cannot talk and i am not drinking this episode and i still can't talk (laughs) in the 80s we've seen even like better experimentation with drag and gender bending in music and film through artists such as george boy pete burns and you know i hate to do this no, I, I don't hate to do this, actually. You've got Rocky Horror Picture Show at the same time yeah. representing. You've got so many comedies that they're, they're trying to say they're comedies or they're horror movies when it's just representation of a world that really is, like, kind of moves all of our theater stuff. Ah. It says by the 1990s, the world was ready. I, I'm going to I'm going to loosely put ready to the drag queen to make more mainstream. Right. Because we were still having some really harsh. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. Help me. Uh, we were having some really harsh discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community. There was some really terrible things happening to people of this community, including murders and tortures. So I would, I would say loosely they were ready for mainstream in the 1990s. I think it's also important that during this time we observe though, that drag was being used in mainstream for comedy more so rather than empowerment kind of heeding to its origins um, in the Renaissance period. It was more, so you have, you know, people who would do stand up or like, um, uh, for instance, Eddie Murphy, you know, uh, in, in Norbit, you know, dressed as like this big caricature of a one to be funny, but that's not really an, I mean, you could even argue Mrs. Doubtfire would be a part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, to, to an extent, I, I don't, I don't know that necessarily it's, it's for me to say, because no. I always enjoyed that movie on like a nostalgic level and stuff. But, um, there were some jokes in there that, you know, they made him out to be like a total freak for dressing yeah. like a woman. And when he was revealed as having been dressing like a woman, it was like, everyone thought he was a straight up pervert, Yeah, you know, but they, they didn't understand. And, um, 
I think that in some ways it's possibly not really aged well for, for that reason. But I think it's important that we recognize that not all of the representation, even though it was mainstream during that time, not all of it was necessarily positive during that time either. So when we say ready, it really is elusive. They were ready to make fun of it, but they right. weren't ready to enjoy it on the level that more open-mindedness allows you to enjoy it. Yeah, it was, again, it's loosely in loose comments, like quotations, they're ready. Yeah. But we're going to hit the early, like, we're going to, we're going to go back and, and talk about one of our favorite, you know, well, most mainstream, I, I wouldn't say they are my favorite drag queen, but um, drag became largely mainstream thanks to brave queens like da, 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 RuPaul. Um, and really it's because they are the most well-known drag queens in the community. One of the most well-known drag queens in the community. It says their song in 1993, Supermodel, which a lot of us on TikTok will know is You Better Work. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Uh, launched the success of their performance career. Uh, their competitive reality show, The Drag Race, premiered in 2009, which I'm going to I'm gonna put a pin in The Drag Race. It's had its own ups and downs and its discrimination with RuPaul. Uh, that's... Yeah, that's, RuPaul, he's not... <laughs> I mean, the, the, there's some members of the community, and again, I'm, I'm not um, a transgender person, so no. I can only speak from my experience on this, but there are some uh, people... That, that say that some of his ideals regarding transgender people have not have not aged well. No, and, and although he was a pioneer in his time for, you know, drug queens and stuff, he's not necessarily got the best example for how to pe- how, how to treat trans people. So No, and honestly, like I know we're kind of dancing around it and being nice about it. He's had some shit reviews about the contestants on his show. Like you if you go on YouTube like and the you the contestants say that it, it wasn't pleasant. Oh no! Uh, they put they were not fed. I think is one of the YouTube things they were. Oh, wow! Yeah, they were locked in the room for like eight hours, or they had to work for fifteen hours with no food and water or bathroom breaks. There's just you can literally go on YouTube and type in RuPaul conspiracies or RuPaul <laughs> scandals, and it comes and up. I mean, that's not a reflection on all drag, though. No. I think that is a reflection on reality television, if Absolutely. anything. But. I just wanted to really say that while we're talking about RuPaul being a icon, that these not all of our icons still have positive backgrounds or positive foregrounds. We have to recognize people as they are. These, these are people who are imperfect and they make mistakes. Just like everyone else, just like yeah. you and me, have done good in their life and they have done bad. Right. And but it's important that we that we acknowledge the good and the bad. I, I think so because I mean they both. He, they, RuPaul has done great on some stuff, especially in activism. But then on the other flip side, there's been a lot of discrimination from him too. So. Uh, you take it or you leave it. You either it's kind of like a Jeffrey Star moment, which I know Jeffrey Star has a lot of uh, bad stuff on him too. There's people that are going to like yeah. it and ignore the the bad, or they're going to fully focus on the bad. Either way, you can't get a straight coin. You're going to have heads and yeah. tails. <laughs> Literally, going to have heads and tails. <laughs> so yeah. Um. Okay. So. Even though most of our drag history, right, is like on right today was addressing men who perform as women, we're going to go slightly into drag king 
history, just just a little bit, because we're going to have a whole other episode on drag king history. But kings like Maury Hill perform as masculine personas and also work in the entertainment sector. We cannot forget that, that this is... there's both sexes dressing as both sexes. It's very exaggerative in both yes. with very thick well, histories. It's important that we recognize that drag kings are a thing because we're talking about the female perspective uh, right. of masculine traits, you yeah. know, and, and that's important to, to recognize because I think sometimes the feminine perspective or the female perspective gets taken out of drag Mm -hmm. and that's when it starts to feel like you know you're just being made fun of right well and then so most of the drag kings and this is just theorized so i'm not going to say this is for sure right says most of the the theories of uh, drag queens have very likely experienced oppression misogyny or some kind of um i want to say assault in the kinds of characters that they are portraying so they'll tend to lean into the problematic or uh, display what you'll either see them displaying unhealthy masculinity or what could be healthy masculinity in popular scenes right now. And uh, that's one of the reasons I want to have a full episode. There's a huge conspiracy going on with drag kings and a new drag king show that I had no idea about until I started doing this research and I'm not even going to elaborate on it because it's a whole 45 minute talk in itself. Yes. Yes. But we're going to go, we're going to go back. This is the first international drag King extravaganza was held in 1999 where drag Kings gathered in a not, I'm going to say it says non-competitive environment, but we all know, we all know, we know. We know, but, uh, okay. So we're going to get a little serious because we're almost, we're closing out, right? Says currently drag is taking on political and religious fire again. So we went through this whole open up of drag and, uh, that's, it's starting to try to get anyway with politicians and religious leaders trying to sanction shows. Many Queens in rural areas like our own are having to retreat back to the underground status which is dangerous. I have to repeat, it's dangerous to be pushing this stuff back underground. Not only is it repression, it's going to allow views that don't go for the masses. Um, So a current activist that is trying to fight is Mercedes, and I'm going to mess her name up, Monroe, M-U-N-R-O. They're using drag as a platform to do justice, right? To bring... Uh, just to, to to up to the forefront, they're using their pride panels to talk about it in the groups. So at the extravaganzas, at the at the judging shows, like they're bringing it at the forefront to the actual community and to the people that are not in the community. They're fighting for LGBTQ plus rights and have been recognized for their commitment to social service and justice. So you can really look up Mercedes Monroe again. That's how it's said. Listen to me. It's Monroe. I have linked all of their stuff and um, you can really get into what they do for justice and how they've helped the community. In, in the yeah. end, there's so many though. And I, I, I point this one out because Mercedes is really speaking out of people of color and indigenous drag queens and LGBTQ plus rights. They're overshadowed. Yeah. They, that's where they really fight in. But I mean, in the end, they're fighting for all LGBTQ plus rights, but she really focuses in on those two things. And, um, 
that's why I wanted to highlight her in this because we started with a person of color as our first coined drag queen, right? I wanted to end this in a really good tone of somebody fighting to continue to have that right and that recognition and not getting wiped from history because that's just, you know. Yes, it's very fitting. Right. And then while we're closing out, I figured people are going to have questions for us, right? Why would a podcast set around women's history and sexual liberation want to do a show on drag? Um, Drag is the performance and liberation of sexuality. It may not have began that way, but it's that way now. It's it loudly announces that it's okay to have curves and flaunt them. Most of these women are beautiful when they're dressed up. I mean, they're beautiful without being dressed up, but they are accentuating their tallness, their hips, their breasts, their waists, little or big, their facial features, their facial hair. Yes. Their confidence is the biggest thing. And it really empowers women that are actually those shapes to be like, I could do that. They can dance like that. I can sure as hell dance like that. Like, or wear those shoes all the time. Every drag show that we're at, I'm like, holy shit. I want those pants. Holy shit. I want those shoes. And I'm like, if they can walk in them, I mean, I'm five, three, I'm tall. If a beautiful, gorgeous six foot five drag queen can run and walk and dance in those, surely to hell I can wear them for five minutes for one of our outings. Like, yes, it's a form of expression that has actually become empowering where it, it was not always the case. Right. And it, it's, it's magical to me because the the group it's like we we watched it shift from a patriarchal lens of more making fun of feminine traits to it being viewed from you know the lgbtq lens and it actually empowering femininity and and showing the power that femininity can have the people the personas that they choose to take on in their shows are they're powerful female figures that, you know, we are, that we're familiar with and identify with. And they're just, they're so fun to, it's so fun to identify yourself with that and feel that connection when you watch a drag show. Yeah, no. And it really shows that it's okay to be different and explore how you feel and, you know, how you can feel and be alive and just be more you, whether that's wearing lots of makeup confidently or really wanting to try out something that's loud when it comes to clothing, right? Like that's important. And it shows us it that it can be good. It question those, those perspectives of what we find attractive in, mm-hmm. in femininity and masculinity. It, it, it forces us to, um, and it almost caricaturizes, um, you know, uh, what's considered attractive uh, in our media lens. You know, they exaggerate it. And it's almost, they make a joke out of some of these trends and stuff. That, and I feel like some people just, just don't, don't get it. <laughs> they don't. And, and they won't, unfortunately. But we're going to close off tonight with this. This is just a s- tiny sliver of drag history, right? But it's really yeah. important parts of drag history. You can check all of our sites in our show notes. Um, and I've also included places to donate 
to continue to help, you know, the activism in our current state with the LGBTQ plus community. You can also show Leela and I some love for doing this stuff and the research and making time to educate you guys about this by clicking our personal links that are also in the show notes. And, you know, we really appreciate listening. It's been slow and we're still new at this. So we appreciate the patience to our crazy. (laughs) But um, thank you for listening to Modern Day Circe episode two. We'll talk to you next week. Want to support us? Check out our links in the bottom of the show notes. Can't wait for you to listen.